0: Hello, everyone. This is Maria Lippmann, and our Plumbers Eurasia podcast featuring a series of discussions about Russian Eurasia, about the region's politics, and about other Russian Eurasia related topics. In late February, Bloomberg published a piece in which it expressed concern about the global rise of food prices. Russia was mentioned along with the countries where public disaffection over this price rise may lead to mass protests and hence political destabilization. Bloomberg's argument was that memories of soaring prices and empty shelves in the aftermath of the Soviet Union's collapse are still vivid for many Russians. The news agency also cited the developments around the arrest and trials of Alexei Navalny that triggered mass protests across Russia in January. Putin, the piece pointed out, is wary of the political impact of food costs and has taken measures aimed at driving domestic wheat prices lower by curbing wheat sales abroad or freezing food prices. Bloomberg then warned that such measures may fuel inflation and this in itself might push people to stage street protests. Whether or not this analysis or even a forecast sounds convincing, the rise of food prices in Russia cannot be denied. Neither can one deny that for the past decade, the Russian economy has been in poor shape. The COVID-19 pandemic has, of course, exacerbated the economic problems. The Russian Minister of Economics strongly disagreed with the Bloomberg's argument and argued that its conclusions are speculative. Just a few days later, Russia's first deputy prime minister, Tatiana Golikova, said that the government's earlier plan to reduce in half the number of poor in Russia would have to be postponed until 2030. The earlier implementation timeline was 2024. The Russian people's economic situations have indeed deteriorated quite significantly. In particular, in 2020, their real disposable incomes have gone down 3.5%. My guest today is Anton Tabach, Chief Economist at the Expert Trading Agency and Associate Professor at the Higher School of Economics. Hello, Anton. Hello. We will discuss the problem of poverty and the rising food prices in Russia. We will also talk about what the government has been doing to mitigate these problems. And of course, we'll touch upon Bloomberg's forecast. Actually, why don't we start with Bloomberg. Anton, what do you make of that warning, of the warning of a possible public unrest? For my part, I am a bit skeptical of a foreign economist's ability to get an idea of the Russian public mindset. Also, Denis Volkov, deputy director of the Butter Center, who was asked about it, also thinks that such an alarmist view is unjustified. He has pointed out that the situation was more dramatic in early 2015, when the ruble collapsed and the prices were growing on a daily basis. But of course, I'm interested uh, in what you think as, as an economist.
1: Actually, I think that while Bloomberg is pointing to real problems not only in Russia but in Brazil, India and China on the background of growing uh, global food prices, with Russia they're making uh, wrong connections uh, in political field. Because again, uh, Arab Spring uh, is a good case, but growing price for wheat flour and for some other foodstuffs was one of uh, causes but not uh, real issues that uh, helped to start uh, revolutionary processes in these countries. So here, I think, first of all, uh, these uh, prices making headlines—they're important, but it's not issue of subsistence level. Government has enough resources uh, to tweak market and at the same time to provide financing to uh, temporary or permanent payout. And I think eventually the current uh, administration will get out of this situation with much better uh, social support practices, actually. I think last year, on one hand, had shown that uh, the system of uh, social support uh, is very badly organized, On the other hand, uh, it was possible to build some temporary institutions from scratch and some of these temporary institutions will be, uh, practices will be made permanent. So it's kind of a Russian tradition. Temporary or just creatively imagined stuff uh, is becoming a permanent feature.
0: Okay. You have already started talking about that, but I would like you to talk about it in a bit more detail. How bad is Russia's economic situation today if we're talking about the actual people? The real disposable incomes have gone down. I think the number that was published recently was that it went down by 3.5% in 2020. Government officials and Putin's personal pressman, Dmitry Peskov, Of course, he's not an economist, but he said that the Kremlin relied on different data and that the situation in Russia is not worse than in other countries. He didn't specify what countries. So how does Russia look compared to other countries that also, of course, have suffered because of COVID? Uh,
1: Russia is looking, uh, well, mediocre. Not as good compared with United States and Europe, where it's a huge cost of increased government debt and increased government spending, uh, disposable incomes kept stable or uh, even increased a bit, like in the United States. And very good compared with uh, India, uh, Brazil, and some other emerging market countries which uh, suffered a lot and whereby incomes suffered and didn't recover. Uh, like actually in uh, in many instances, uh, looking in between. What uh, to make from this 3.5%, and it's a very important thing, that it this is average. Probably about, I don't know, 70% of population did not suffer at all or had their incomes increased in line with inflation. Pensions had been indexed more or less in line with inflation. Public servant salaries uh, had been increased in line with inflation. In most corporations, salaries uh, had been kept at their previous levels. Again, we're not talking about aeroflot or Russian railways, where because of shutdowns, transportation, the need in uh, staffing uh, significantly declined. But uh, some other uh, segments of population even increased their uh, incomes. Uh, look how profitable had been courier services uh, during lockdowns. But about 20 to 30 percent of uh, the population, and this is workforce mostly to, in private sector, in small and medium-sized business, in the great, in great market they suffered a lot. So basically we have, I don't know, Uh, 0% change for 70% and uh, and 10% change for about a third. And if we look at this third, maybe half of this suffered a bit, but the rest suffered a lot, like those involved in tourist services, living, working, prohibited activities, and so on and so forth. So, And this is a problem because the existing social system was not able to reach these biggest sufferers and actually even this payout for children implemented in summer. Uh, they were poor people, but they were given to many people who
0: didn't, didn't need it. Okay, so what about that group? Um, if we talk about absolute numbers, how many people are we talking about? So you say maybe 20 to 30 percent, about one-third uh, really suffered, or maybe even a fraction of those actually suffered. Actually, they suffered, but most of them suffered not so much. And again, about some of them, we
1: just don't know. But probably about fifteen to twenty percent had been hit really hard. So this is services sector, predominantly services sector, which was hit by uh, which was hit by uh,
0: lockdowns and by general decline of uh, consumer spending. Actually, we don't hear much about this group. Uh, And now that you're talking about it, I should say that uh, we have not heard any complaints, any organized protest or any organized demand from this particular group, demands or at least requests that the government should help them. This sounds like um, a group that suffered but is mostly silent. Is that correct? Uh, It's not
1: correct because, of course, they got something at least those who had been in uh, legal field, such as uh, payouts, uh, subsidies uh, to pay salaries, cancelable loans. Basically, uh, American practices had been taken uh, as, a, as an example and implemented. Again, levels of payout had been relatively small, but in most regions, it was enough to keep at least uh, maybe from half to 70% of incomes. Not in Moscow, but again, something had been done. And of course, people suffered. But uh, if, you were, if we're talking about business owners, they complain uh, only occasionally. And if we look at employees, uh, okay, uh, some lost income had been compensated, but not all. And again, it's a big hit, but it's not like incomes came from uh, full, uh, full salary to zero, to zero and uh, nothing is done. So we're talking about uh, heat, but not uh, complete, uh, complete destruction.
0: Okay. In the meantime, Russia's first deputy prime minister, Tatiana Golikova, said that the government's earlier plan to reduce in half the number of poor in Russia would have to be postponed until 2030. So talking about poverty, what is the level of poverty uh, that we're talking about? And is it chronic poverty that uh, the government is trying to um, cope with, or are we talking about impoverishment? Of course, the group that you just mentioned, or at least part of that group, suffered from impoverishment or a decline, a rather sharp decline of income. But in general, what does this poverty mean? The poverty that Tatiana Golikova is talking about, uh, the, the poverty that the government is dealing with. This is level
1: of incomes below subsistence level, which is, uh, according to government standards, is give or take $150, about 10,000 rubles. Of course, it's a bit more, a bit less, depending whether it's pensioner or a uh, ch- uh, child or Uh, adult, but give or take, it's about 10,000 rubles a month. And currently, the recent numbers had been about 12 million people. Basically, this is, in most cases, structural. In some cases, it's temporary impoverishment, which we look now. And in some cases, this is uh, a situation when uh, government cannot uh, properly assess level of income. When people are in a great sector, in a great sector, when people are having uh, natural closed households, basically when they're living off uh, their land and, for example, selling uh, harvest under the table. And in these cases, this is one of the reasons why government tried to implement various uh, systems to have uh, proper assessment of income.
0: Okay, so you've been talking about the government. You said that the government has done something, have been doing something. What is the something? What are the measures? I think I already mentioned that the government rendered support to families with children. It seems that this is not the only measure that the government has used.
1: Not the only measure. And actually, uh, I made a mistake. I misquoted Uh, not 12, but about 20 million. Mm-hmm. I just spoke, 20, uh, 20 million poor, uh, slightly below, and the number of poor people, according to government standards, increased uh, by about 1.5 million people in uh, 2020.
0: Okay. Okay. So what are other measures? Cash transfers to families with children, I think, has been a rather broad operation and administered rather effectively.
1: Yes, and actually it's a case when understanding that existing infrastructure was not good. They used a site for government services, which is very well run. They used uh, pension fund, which is probably the only government uh, uh, authority able to handle massive cash payments, and it worked. Uh, another issue, uh, another uh, tool uh, increase in various types of uh, subsidies uh, for children for younger children. And actually, w- w- most people forget, but in the, the State of the Country address whereby Vladimir Putin suggested change in constitution, it was a relatively small part of it. A uh, bigger part was increase in social spending to the tune of about 1.4% of GDP, permanent increase in social spending, and most of it had been concentrated on various support for children and young mothers, uh, such as uh, Materinski Kapital and other programs. Uh, another uh, step was unification and streamlining of unemployment insurance. Actually, experience uh, during uh, lockdowns had been very effective, like flat benefit, relatively easy application procedure, uh, and it seems that that uh, not only Russia is kind of taking a flat benefit approach and probably it will stay with us. And also, it's kind of temporary measures. Maybe they will become permanent, but a bigger project which is now uh, is officially announced and probably will be implemented within two three years is the creation of so-called Social Treasury, basically anti-tax service, tax service exists to collect taxes, and this social treasury will distribute. Uh, uh, because of that, uh, pension fund will be unified with other institutions responsible for payment of various uh, types of subsidies and allotments, and also uh, there will be kind of new digital uh, mechanisms to implement uh, need-based assessment and actions needed to create new system. And of course, social contract, whereby in exchange for some promises, administered by local authorities, uh, people will get uh, not only cash benefits, but for example, money to start new business or something else. They also are uh, on the books and will be rolled out within the next two years.
0: Okay, that's quite a lot, but everything that you've been talking about so far has to do with social support rendered by the government to the people. There are apparently other measures taken quite recently that have to do with fixed food prices and also with the rise of export duties on wheat and maybe something else. So what about these measures? I think these measures
1: are not very useful because they already meet with resistance from agricultural producers and they were kind of hastily conceived and probably PR was bigger reasons than common sense. And this is probably the weakest social support infrastructure in Russia these days. No food subsidies, no food stamps. And actually, discussion about food stamps was uh, happening maybe every other year in the last decade, but nothing had been done. Probably, again, for PR reasons, because unfortunately, food stamps uh, will be kind of, will be not doomed, but uh, will be compared and kind of uh, bundled in the same category with Soviet stamps and coupons given to uh, Russian food, uh, which uh, happened during the war, which had been implemented, and in the late 80s, early 90s, before market reform started and this is kind of experience nobody wants to repeat uh the problem with that comparison is that it's like to compare a surgical knife with an axe <laughs> uh, are used to cut but, of course, they have different purpose. Uh, and actually, good thing that the president uh, told that, well, we should look uh, closer into uh, food subsidies program, and maybe it can be sold to him, uh, because e- e- it's a strange issue, because it's common sense. Agricultural producers supporting it, retailers supporting it, Ministry of Agriculture supporting it, even Finance Ministry uh, is not against it, because uh, it's not very pricey. Uh, very good U.S. experience, very good Brazilian experience, but psychological barrier. And this is uh, probably, if uh, Russia had food stamp program, probably this elephant in China shop type of measures uh, would not be needed.
0: Okay, uh, interesting. Do you think the psychological barrier is the, is the barrier that exists in the minds of the Russian establishment, or they believe that such a barrier exists in the minds of the people?
1: Uh, This this barrier, or not barrier, but tendency to kind of use pictures from the late 80s exist in the heads and minds of journalists, both liberal and loyalist. And this is a big problem.
0: Interesting. Um, So do you think that the measures that you don't think of as good ones or appropriate ones, such as fixing food prices and increasing export duties, do you think they will be only temporary?
1: Depends, depends. It depends on uh, what happens with global prices. If they continue to go up, then there will be more reason to uh, keep hold. But on the other hand, there will be more benefits in uh, circumventing uh, restrictions. But uh, I think, and it depends on the relative strength of various lobbying groups. So if, for example, agricultural producers will be able to explain how destructive is with uh, duty for the Russian export, wheat export. And again, not uh, young people just cannot understand that uh, uh, Soviet Union was a huge importer of wheat. And Russia is a big exporter. And in the last 15 years, Russian agricultural exports, again, not in all sectors, but in wheat, for example, became a reason for pride. But now, because of some, Domestic PR stuff, huge export industry will be, if not destroyed, severely reduced.
0: What about fixed food prices? Same question. So far, we've had fixed prices on vegetable oil and sugar, as well as, I think, more recently, meat and chicken. Uh, On on meat and chicken,
1: no, it was kind of soft agreements. And actually, uh, it's a matter of kind of... uh, With with, with sugar, again, people tend to remember how prices go up, but forget how they go down. And prices for sugar went down in the the last couple of years uh, almost two times. And last year, there had been a lot of uh, worrying that uh, sugar processing factories are closing because nobody is buying out. Uh, But again, uh, this is politics. So with sugar, I think it will be resolved relatively easy. Uh, New supplies, new production, and again, uh, it's not a situation like in the late 80s when almost all sugar went to produce moonshine. Uh, with uh, with oil, it's a different because global prices are growing. Again, it's better ask not me, but for example, agricultural analysts uh, about uh, what's going on. But it seems that oil will be in relative deficit uh, for the next year or so. And in this situation, it's very hard to keep price limits. So again, maybe they will kind of uh, turn on uh, common sense and will uh, launch uh, uh, subsidies for poor.
0: Okay, so we'll wait and see. Um, now, you mentioned food stamps as a measure that you think would be a reasonable and appropriate one, but the government doesn't opt for that, and you explained why. Are there other measures that the government probably uh, should or maybe be uh, applying to the Russian e- economy, but is not? Actually, almost everything
1: is tried, or at least uh, on the books. I don't think uh, they will use uh, direct payments again, which they did last year. Uh, it was very effective. It really increased uh, consumption and uh, uh, helped people. But now, is, uh, at least government thinks that there is no broad need to support incomes. The problems are in particular sectors. But I think one measure which can be implemented uh, maybe a year or two down the road is giving some direct handout to the poorest as an offset uh, for their uh, income tax payment. In Russia, income tax is collected into regional budgets so all these ideas to relieve low incomes from income tax basically come to the fact that already poor budgets of the poorest regions will be further further undermined by this measure but for example this kind of direct federal payment can be offset and can be used to relieve poverty but again it requires a lot of changes in the tax and benefit system and that's why I think it will take take time to be
0: implemented. What some of your colleagues have been talking about, um, a cancellation of counter-sanctions, thing is that Russia introduced counter-sanctions against imports of food products from, I think mostly from Europe to Russia, in response to the sanctions imposed on Russia. So do you think this measure actually would be beneficial? And if so, why doesn't the government Cancel the
1: counter sanctions? Uh, it would be beneficial, but not to the degree as many mostly liberal economists and analysts claim. Because the biggest responsibility for food price increases is not in sanctions, but in general devaluation of the ruble between 2015 and now, 2014. And this is a fact. Of course, removal of sanctions may somewhat uh, increase supply, but agricultural sector will be ready to pay any duty, but not to allow uh, sanctions to expire. Of course, there is not a single agricultural sector. Uh, there are meat producers, which has vested interests, and there are wheat producers, which basically don't care. But I think uh, uh, the level of lobbying by agriculture will be sufficient to make this measure dead on arrival. And in the United States, everybody knows how powerful uh, is agricultural lobby. Same in European Union. Why it should be different in Russia?
0: Right. So, uh, you mean the agricultural lobby is really reluctant to have unwelcome competition? That's the reason. Would you? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't produce anything, but I guess if I were producing something, I would not want... M- competition. So my final question to you, we've been talking about various problems and various ways that the government is trying to handle those problems. So how do you see the short-term prospect for the Russian economy and the socioeconomic situation? Apparently, you disagree with Bloomberg when it predicts public unrest in Russia because of the rising food prices. But how do you see the short-term prospect?
1: Well, uh, people obviously are not happy, and the uh, measures are taken to soothe it, especially given Duma elections, given that even uh, systemic parties like communists and so-called liberal democrats are uh, kind of uh, claiming that current policies are not beneficial for the average Russian. So I think uh, impact... Well, we're already seeing it. Declining consumption, relatively slow recovery, heat in consumption of some categories, actually. For example, choice in supermarkets is becoming, uh, the quality is becoming worse because people tend to downgrade their consumption. It's a subtle movement, but they're really happening. It's not something dramatic, but it's general level of decline and degradation. And of course, it's not sustainable in the long term or at least it's not happily sustainable in the long term. But
0: short term, I think both Russian economy and government can muddle through. Okay, so uh, you mentioned the upcoming election. Of course, in September, we're going to have a parliamentary election and the government will do its best to keep people reasonably, if not happy, at least not too much disaffected. Do you think they can do that? Uh, I'm not a political
1: analyst, and it's not my uh, kind of specialty. But I think, as my marketing professor in the United States taught me, the key idea is to have minimally satisfied customers, and probably they need to have minimally satisfied water.
0: Okay. So, thank you very much, Anton. We'll see um, how this economic situation will play out come September.
1: Thank you.